Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you, I did something today. I uh, I don't know why. I always wear a hat and I always try to wear a cool t-shirt. My one t-shirt today is my high school, Cherry Hill East, my alma mater, Cherry Hill East Cougars. And then the hat, I was just, I, I've been wearing the same hats. And I found a visor I got. I think because the Pope was in town last weekend. He was in Philadelphia. And I watched all the coverage. And I had friends posting all over Facebook. It was wonderful. His speeches were great. I mean, it was it was really inspirational. As I said to some of my friends who went to Bishop Eustace, which is a big Catholic school in my area. It was great because he actually spanned across not just church-going people, but someone like me who's spiritual. who it, it, he, he got out the word out to everyone. I think it was important. And I had gotten this visor. It said Fiat. Now, I got into downtown Burbank because they were trying to sell Fiat and like one of these things. And I put the visor on and I get in the car and then I'm driving and I'm thinking, I'm bald. The visor is like the stupidest thing I could ever have because it's sitting there. You know, I wear a baseball hat because if I go outside, you know, it's a good chance I'm going to get my head sunburned. Because, you know, as you get older and you're bald, you, you forget to put sunblock and I have a little bit of hair, but you have to put it on because it goes through and your ears are important. But I put on a visor and I'm going, this is the stupidest thing ever. Because I'm going to sit there and I'm going to be going outside and I'm going to have a big round visor baldness on me. So if people are bald, don't wear visors. I wore it. It looked okay, but I, I'm thinking it's just awful. Anyway, enough about that. We have a, we have a great show. Actually, I met this uh, gentleman, Jerry Hawk. How you know, Jerry? Hey, how you doing? Good. I met I met him at a, it was uh, Jimmy Delavalla did a uh, web series or a pilot and you guys were shooting at Jimmy's place. Right, right, right. And I, I had known Jimmy. Not Jimmy Delvalo, the other Jimmy, because he, um, I used to book a comedy show at his old bar, and so he called and so you did it, and that's the first time I met you, and it was, uh, that was a cool day. It was, it was yeah. Little... You were like the manager of the uh, place, wasn't that your character? Were you? Yeah, and, yeah. And it was odd because I was sitting there, and it's when they went in, and, and it's something that when you guys are going into a bar, you expect the bar to have matching glassware. And it's just certain little things <laughs> right. that you go, and then they didn't. And so then we, we ad-libbed it. We won it. What are you going to do? But I was just surprised. I'm like, they should have matching glasses. It, it was very odd. It was strange. Well, first of all, the, the crew came in, and they see that the entire back of the bar is all mirrors. So right. the people with the cameras and the mics are going like, how are we going to shoot this? They're going to see us in every shot. So it was uh, it was stressful. But now that you got you got that done, so it's good. It was great. It really came out really, really well. And so now, okay, so now I know you grew up in the, uh, the San Francisco area. Correct. Uh, South San Francisco is where I grew up, and I was born in San Francisco, and I lived all over the place uh, as I grew up, Pacifica, San Bruno, in the city for a number of years. So, yeah, I'm a city boy, Giants fan. Now, okay, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm a Phillies fan, and, you know, it's, you know, the Giants, you've won enough. I mean, you know, it's like, I, all honesty, I sit there and go, I think they've what, won three of the last five? Yes, three of the I, last five. I, I go, you know what? I go, if you're a Giants fan, you're not allowed to complain for 10 years because you have honestly, and, and no one says they're, no one ever says they're a, you know, a, a dynasty dynasty because, because it's been split between and it's just because what they won with, you know, you know Madison Baumgartner or just different pitchers. Lincecum was a pretty boy, but then he started falling apart, you know, and just no one looks at it. It's like, You've won three out of five, and no one talks about it. It's like the the Cardinals. They're well, the, always a good team. Yes, and the thing about it is, is well, first of all, I was a Giant fan. I watched Willie Mays play in Candlestick Park back in the 60s. So I was 55 years old when they finally won the World Series in 2010. So it was a long drought, man. They had never won in San Francisco. So if you would have told me six years ago today that the Giants would have won three World Series in the next five years, I'd have told you, you know, out of your mind. And last year they won. Yeah, 2014. No, no, uh, yeah. no one expected it. That was out of nowhere. No, they were never the best team on paper in any of those years, and they were never favored in any series that they played. So now, were you a sports, a sports fan growing up as a kid? Yes, totally. Like, what did you play sports? Yeah, or? I played baseball. 
played basketball. I wasn't very good. And football until they started tackling. Then I decided no more. Now, you like the sports. Now, when did you start liking the acting? I mean, was that at a young age? You know, it's it's funny because the both are intertwined. I was a baseball player. I was all city. I was an all league player. And uh, one day in ninth grade, three and oh count. I get the hit signal from the third base coach. I'm leaning in. The fastest pitcher in the league beans me in the head, puts me in the hospital. And from then on, I was shy. I mean, I was not, I was, you know, when I was at bat, I was afraid. So uh, I kind of migrated towards the theater uh, because I wasn't playing baseball and didn't have anything else to do. So, yeah. No, was that in high school you started yes, doing? Yes, doing plays and all that stuff. Now, did you have any influences? Like, as, as you know, when you were younger, what were some of the, who were some of the people you watched on TV? Like, you know, for me, because I did stand up, you know, we would watch Eddie Murphy, then we listen to Carlin albums and, you know, just acting, you know, I didn't say anything, you know, I was a huge Woody Allen fan, you know, oh, yeah. you watch and just, and you watch it. who were some of the people that you gravitated towards? Well, I'll tell you, my whole youth was, I was a Jerry Lewis fan. Jerry Lewis is the funniest guy in the history of show business. And, uh, it really makes me laugh. And oddly enough, when I was a kid, I liked guys like Ben Gazzara, like Run for Your Life, that show. Ben and, Gazzara. Oh, man. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so cool. And uh, even uh, I Spy with, with Bill Cosby, who and, back then was, you know. And Culp. That, that, and that Robert was, Culp. Fantastic stuff. And that's, you know, I mean, you know, before, you know, we found out Cosby is this awful of rapist. Course. It was, it was, it was, he was carrying that. There wasn't African-American men. I mean, maybe him and Sidney Poitier. That was it. And, and, but he was carrying, and he was, he was the lead in that. Even though Culp was a big name, it was Bill Cosby that was a lead, and it was very a different time. And that was a very good show. Yeah, it was really cool, and it had a lot of humor to it, and I just loved their banter. And uh, I'm a 10-year-old kid begging my mom and dad, please let me stay up to watch I Spy. It comes on at 10 o'clock. You know, I get school the next day. So you sit there, so you're, you're going through high school. You, you can't play baseball anymore. You're, you're taking theater classes, and then you decide to go to college at San Francisco State. Right, but I'm also smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, and shooting pool a lot, too, at the same time. So, so you're doing all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. so you're sort of like, you know, you're the rebel. Totally, because it was the 70s. You know, it was like, I graduated from high school 73, so I was in fall of 73, I was at San Francisco State, and in between the summer of 73, I was at the American Conservatory Theater Summer Congress in San Francisco. Now, how'd you get in that? Did you have to audition? Or? Yeah, I auditioned, and then it was $600, which back then was a lot of money. Uh, so yeah, you went there and auditioned, and sometimes they gave certain amounts of scholarships to people. And uh, I got like 200 out of 600, so my parents could only afford another 200. But the principal of my high school kicked in $200 so I could go. See, that's very cool. That's yeah. just a different time. So, so you went there, so then you go through college. Yeah, not so really. Did, so did you, did you graduate? or did No. You? No, I probably went there for uh, two years. But you want to be an actor? Absolutely. I was a theater major, but I was also working at the San Francisco International Airport, drinking a lot of beer, getting into a lot of trouble. 78, I had two drunk drivings. So, uh, you know, what? it's 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 amazing. You know, it's like, well, it's how long were they in between each other? Six months. OK, because so basically you got your license back and you lost it again. Yeah, exactly. See, it's funny. I know a guy who actually he lost <laughs> his license. And before they take it away, because I got a DUI like 12 years ago, <sighs> before they take it away, you have like that month before you go to court uh, well during that month he this is no lie he blew a 0.33 no that's like, that's like i thought you would die from that what was yours mine was a 0.17 no you were a lightweight this okay. year, I, I had 0.27.29 okay so oh man that's big i that's, was wasted now though you'd be screwed i mean you i mean now you, you'd have contraptions and you, you would have done hard time totally in 78 madd was just just starting and so getting two then is kind of the equivalent of getting one now 
Okay. Yeah. So, so you're, so you, you have, you're, you're drinking, you're, you're working at the airport. You're not really following your act. No, exactly. So, so what happens? What makes you click into gear and say, you know what? This is what I'm born to do. Okay. I'll tell you what happened was my brother who will remain nameless. He'll know who he is, but, uh, he was, uh, hooked on Coke and he was freebasing it, selling it. And he had lost like 80 pounds. So, um, I told my parents, I told my mother and father, I said, Hey, you know, cause they're like, what's the matter with, I said, Hey, he's hooked on Coke. He's selling it. And it's like, Oh my God. So I said, now I got to go down and tell him that I told you. So I confronted my brother. I said, Hey, I blew the whistle on you. And he says, well, F you. Right. Go, who are you to point the finger at me? How many times have you knocked on my door at three o'clock in the morning, wanting a quarter gram? You just, you know, two drunk drivings, all the stuff you've done. You point the finger at me. You say you're an actor. Screw you. So I said, you're right. I will never have another drink as long as I live for the rest of my life. And and you just stopped. Stopped, and I was in acting. I was in an acting class nine days later. So you stopped, and then were you in an acting class up in San Fran? San Francisco, okay. Fort Mason. Yeah. So you're doing you're doing the acting classes in San Fran. You get your life back on track. Now, how long how long are you hanging in San Francisco? Because you know San Francisco had a lot of comedy and acting. And a lot of it's a good totally. scene. Totally good so, stuff. So were you doing a lot of work up? Were you getting work? Because were they shooting stuff or shooting commercials? No, or? I was not working yet. What I was doing was doing stage readings, doing little plays, taking acting class, doing scene study. You know, doing all the stuff, just getting out there and getting used to to actually understanding what the life is at the time. Though I didn't have a car because of my drunk driving, so I'm taking public transportation everywhere. I'm on Sam Trans. You know, I'm taking the buses, uh, BART, everything. So, uh, but to answer your question, I didn't start working. It took a couple of years and I started doing industrial films, getting some commercial work and, you know. So what was that like? Like, you know, after all this time, you know, the first time you're on a set, a set you know, I mean, was it, was it intimidating to you or I mean, how, how, what was it like? Because, you know, you wanted to do it, but then as I said, you, and it seems like you started a little bit later. Yes. And, you know, and you, and you. 25. Yeah. And you, and you sat there and you said, you know what, I'm putting these demons behind me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. So what? it must have been a great feeling when you finally sat there and got to be like, holy crap, I just got paid to act. Absolutely. You know, the money wasn't so important. It was, it, it it's, it's being on a set and being a professional. And, and what I was lucky about was that there was always an older guy at these gigs who would you know, because it was usually these industrial films and stuff. It's the old guy telling the young guy, hey, and I was always the young guy. So, and so in between shots, they would say, hey, do this, sit here, this is it. You're, you know, people would show me the ropes, so I would gain incredible experience uh, because of other people helping me out. It's always been that way. So now you're kicking around. You're kicking around San Fran now. When is it you decide, you know what, I got to go to L.A.? I always knew. I mean, I knew. The, the day I quit drinking, I knew I was going to Los Angeles. But was there a certain moment, a defining moment that you sat there and finally said, you know what? I got to get out of here. Yes. And, and, and a lot of times it's just a matter of someone says, you know what? I just, I can't go back to these stages anymore because I have to make my career go further. What happened to you? When did it- my thing was friends of mine were getting cast in movies and television. I had a buddy of mine, Charlie Bovier, got, got booked on Hill Street Blues. And another two friends of mine were in uh, The Right Stuff. Remember The Right Stuff, the movie? They shot that up in San Francisco the, about the astronauts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So these actors were playing astronauts and having different roles, a bunch of people. And I said, well, if they can do it, I can do it. I got to go. So you, just time. Said, you, you said, I'm packing up, I'm moving to L.A. Well, I moved to L.A. with an actress who is the mother of my child. And so we went together. And uh, that didn't work out so great after a certain amount of time. But I'm still there. So. so you got down here. And now where do you start? Because once again, it's like anytime you come from another city, I don't care what you've done, unless you've had a TV series or whatever, 
even people who've had TV series in New York come to LA and there's no open doors. So would you just sit there and start pounding the pavement? Or, I mean, how do you start going about this? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's probably about the same the way it is today, but you got to get your pictures, get a, put some kind of phony resume together, you know, because you haven't really, San Francisco credits and all that stuff. And then, like you said, oh, the Samuel French used to have an agency book. I, remember I don't know that. if you remember, for remember, 10 yeah. bucks, right? You would sit there and you'd go and it was like a paperback That's book. That's it. That's it. And you would circle the ones that say open for new kinds of people and stuff and send pictures and resumes like you throw enough crap against the wall, something sticks and hope somebody calls. Well, now you said you, you, you know, when did you start doing the stand-in stuff? Because I know you said you've done that now. Well, you, you were down here and did you start going the extra route first or what happened? You know, I did stand-in work and, and um, that kind of stuff even after I'd already done network television and been in feature films. Um, uh, I used to work at a little Italian place called Maria's Italian Kitchen in the Valley. You know that place on Ventura? No, what's it called? Maria's Italian Kitchen. Good food? Great place. Still open? Uh, it's a little, like a little New York deli. Still right? open? Yeah, oh yeah, it's still there. I opened it in 1985 what, as a waiter. Where, uh, what, what, where? In right Valley? across the street from the Great Greek, Dixie Canyon, kind of like uh, east of, Col- uh, west of Coldwater. Okay. Fulton. All right, okay, I know Fulton, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always look for a good deli. But that was the place where I got my first work in TV where casting people and agents and producers came to this little place and that's how I got hired originally. So later on, I, I made a connection with an AD who would call me and say, Hey, do you want to stand in for so-and-so? And, uh, I'd say, yeah, because you know, a lot of times there's just no work. So I stood in for Robert Wool in the film Cobb opposite Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, that's a great, that's a great movie to be directed in. by Ron Shelton. And the great thing about that was he had the stand-ins do full blown off book, full dialogue rehearsals. So you were doing the show for every single scene. So that was, that was amazing. Well, I would think, yeah, I would think that was also, you know, very much the same as like an acting class because, you know, first of all, you're watching these people. Brett Collin was on a few weeks ago and said when he did the replacements, he would watch Hackman just because, you know, because it's Gene Hackman. But for you to sit there and also see a director, when Ron Shelton is, when it comes to a sports movie, there's no one who's directing a better movie about sports than Ron Shelton. The guy just, that's his genre. And Steve, you would love this guy because he treated every single person on the set like me. I was the lowest, you know, I'm a stand-in. He treated me just like he treated Tommy Lee Jones. It was impressive. And then you got to watch those guys. And then, you know, it must have been just amazing to see. They're disciplined. You probably saw it. They're probably a lot of more disciplined. Might, Absolutely. You, learn, you probably learned every day. Absolutely. Because these guys, you know, a guy like Tommy Lee Jones would make an acting choice and he might have to do it 50, 60 times by the time they're done with to get the right takes and to get all the coverage they need. So it was like, it was pretty intense to watch a guy like that. Now, some of your earlier work, and you were, you were on Falcon Crest, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you were in Hill Street Blues. First network gig. Now that was, you're talking about what's it like to be on a set. Hill Street Blues was my favorite show of all time, maybe my entire life. Watching. Yes. Okay. And uh, suddenly I'm doing a scene with Dennis Franz. You know, I don't know if you remember the show. There was always a little a little joke before the cop car came yeah. out. There'd be some tag, and I was the tag. Now, now, did you have to go through this? I mean, how did that happen? Yes. I mean, was that must have been, I would think, because like I know you were going to talk about when you were in Seinfeld, which I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. You know, I right. Mean, I mean, that must have been like for you, for being a fan of Hill Street Blues, it must have just been awesome. And, you know, to just... And Dennis Fran. I mean, that was such a gritty show. It was just a really good the show. The best. I mean, so were you nervous when you went on that set? Uh, petrified. I mean, I'm going there. Remember, they used to have roll call, you know, where they all, the guy would say, be, be, let's be really careful out there. That You know, the, mm-hmm. the cop, the sergeant. There's the set. I'm looking at, oh my God, I'm here. Look at, there's, this is where all the guys seat. And then the, the front of the front of the precinct house where they all 
mill out. It was just, it was like, for me, it was like, I was at the Smithsonian. It was uh, Well, it's good because you're also in L.A. Law, which was just such, you know, the thing is, and I, I talk about this with uh, a lot of my guests. Back then, when you were on a top show like a Hill Street Blues or L.A. Law, it was a lot bigger than now because there was a lot bigger viewing. I mean, it's like, you know, you sit there and you think, we only had three whatever choices exactly. for, for new programming. And, and I mean, L.A. Law, that, these, these were shows like people just sat there and they, they watched, they planned their night. And you, cause if you missed it, unless you could figure out a number, isn't even really a big BCR thing back then. Right. You're really screwed. Right. So now that, I mean, must've been, you must've been feeling good. It was great. Roles. I was working with uh, Jimmy Smith's and Harry Hamlin in this scene. And it was another, another opportunity where I just said, I, I can't believe I'm here. This is so great. So you're working and you're getting all ditches. Now you're doing any commercial stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of stuff. You know, I'm not a big commercial guy, but you know, uh, People will find when they're pursuing their careers in Los Angeles that a lot of guys do commercials and that's all they can do. Or they do TV, they don't do any commercials. I've always been able to, got, I've done TV, movies, and commercials pretty evenly, so I'm pretty lucky in that regard. So you're working around, you're working on, and it's, it's, you, know, it's, you go, I mean, because your career has been a long career. You got to do Murphy Brown, which must have been, you know, must have been cool, because you're working on legendary shows. I mean, once again, it's like you come on and you have Candace Bergen, who's just amazing, and that whole crew was amazing. A lot of them one past, you know, a lot of them haven't really done much after, but what is, I mean, what is that like when you're, you know, basically a gun for hire, you're coming in for this episode and what is it like when you sit there and you are among, you know, these people who are, you know, somewhat greatness in a second. There wasn't anyone bigger than Candace Bergen when Murphy Brown was on you're the right. top of its game. So what's that like? And is it, I mean, is it great? Did you feel great being on those shows? Well, my experience has been on that show and almost every show I've been on that everybody is so nice. You know, she was great. The entire cast was fantastic. So welcoming, making sure that you're happy. And, uh, you know, people who are working and making money at what they love, they should be happy. And uh, these people are. So it, it's it's always been just, I don't think I've ever had a bad experience. Now, Seinfeld, you're on, and that's one of the... Uh... It's the same. First of all, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you make residuals. I mean, it's that, <laughs> that show. I mean, honestly, I, I think I've seen that episode just from you know it's on TBS. Or I think I've seen that episode. It's been on. I mean, that thing plays probably six times. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's just here in LA. But if people, the episode is where his his dad. It's your dad's records. Yeah, because they're all taking care of old people. Jerry's right. got an old guy. George's got an old guy. Elaine's got the lady with the goiter yeah. in her neck. <laughs> and then and then you walk in and George is getting the, the stuff. Right, 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 right. Now, when you auditioned, did you, did you ever think, I mean, you know, because that was in the middle of science. I mean, that was, it was season four. Yeah, okay. it was. but they were just at that point switching over to Thursdays. Remember, they were taking the big slot from Cheers. Okay. That was happening right then. Did but it. did you ever think that, I mean, you would still be getting checks? I mean, because you think, you know, it's... It's syndication, and, and it's a matter of, you know, you don't know if it's, I think it's, it used to be five seasons, someone has to be on to get Yeah, four or five, definitely, 100 episodes, whatever. So you're on the show, and just, I mean, now and now it came out on Hulu, and people people watch these shows. I mean, you probably have people who, after they see the show, because people watch Seinfeld, and, and they, they'll look up who's in the cast, and you know, there's been so many people in, in the cast, Anna Gunn from, you know, just all these, yeah, Terry Hatcher. But I mean, did did you were you surprised that it, I mean, there's still a momentum and how much how often you see it and can you even watch it because it is it's you know it's it's 20 odd years ago. 22 I mean, years, man. And it's like you sit there and you, and you just sit there and go, 
damn man i'm getting older I mean, just, <laughs> it I, looks like my son out there I, is it, I mean, <laughs> the just, skinny guy with hair comes out and starts yelling at jerry what was know? it like shooting that though because you're around i mean and they're all just phenomenal actors right well first of all it was a uh, radford studios right there the old mtm studios on colfax and uh the audition i was there and in the room at the audition was larry david and jerry seinfeld they were there auditioning the actors so that was pretty cool so i just i read the part it actually had more lines it was cut a little bit but um so I just did the best I could. And, was, and this was, I mentioned Hill Street Blues is my favorite. Seinfeld was my second favorite show. I mean, I was a fan of that show and Jerry Seinfeld from the very pilot episode. So getting that again was like unbelievable. Well, it must be great also because, you know, that you are basically, I mean, you can say, a, you know, not a lot of people can say they've, they've been part of pop culture. And then Hill Street Blues is a part of pop culture because it's, you know, it's a little bit before Seinfeld. But I mean, that must just be great when you sit there and you look at your better work and you go, you know, Shit, L.A. Law, Hill Street Blues, Seinfeld. That must be awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm 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 getting old, but it seems like the stuff that I've done is, uh, it's, I'm on TV land a lot. <laughs> well, you've also, <laughs> you, know? you, you, were, you uh, did some soap opera acting. Yeah, I did uh, The Bold and Beautiful, like eight episodes, which was pretty, pretty cool. And uh, I've heard soap opera acting is really hard because you have to learn so much crap and it's not like, tv where it's like okay we have a we have a week to shoot this it's like every day in. so so i mean when you when you do that i mean how do you remember lines i mean because as you said when they can cut a line i mean i know tv when to do a live audience right. is different but they can still cut it but this is they're probably under such a crunch and it's probably a very probably a tense situation well it wasn't as tense because the bold and beautiful is a half hour show which there was a little less stress on sorry i'm hitting the table here probably uh but uh the bold and beautiful is a half hour show and uh, there wasn't as much pressure to get an hour of stuff out in one day. But what we did was we went to each other's dressing rooms and ran lines nonstop when we weren't shooting. It was run the lines, run the lines, run the lines, run the lines. But it was a lot of fun because my character uh, was searching for a missing person. And so uh, with two of the stars, I went to Antarctica on the set. So it's, yeah, cool. it's always great. I always love, I always love with soap operas. It's like, you know, you sit there and it's like, you'll watch like days of our lives. Like one guy dies and then he comes back, yeah. but then 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 the, then the other guy comes back, who's him with a different face, right? And it's like oh, what that, and, and people believe it. I mean, you know, they don't believe it, but I think they do. Like, it's just it's amazing. Twin brother, it's his twin brother comes too. Like, there's so many twins everywhere. Now, we, we, what are some of the other stand-in stuff you've done? Because the stand-in stuff is very interesting because you you know you've learned from some really good you know mentors somewhat. Oh, I did a crazy one. Uh, I stood in for Sammy Rockwell on okay. uh, Matchstick Men. And I show up on the set, and I'm 5'10", 226 at the time. And Sam Rockwell's 5'8", a buck 60, right. dripping wet. So the camera operator's like, we can't do this. How are you going to do this? But they said, oh, we'll make it work. And so so we did. And that was for Ridley Scott, and he was just great. And all these guys, you know, they, they give the stand-ins acting jobs. They'll give us a little day or two or three. So I also, in the film, am uh, the taxi cab driver that takes uh, Nicolas Cage all over town. See, that must be great because, you know, when you work with these people and you interact, and it's like anything. Most people remember people they meet. Now, now how do you know Jimmy DeLaValle? Uh, we were doing a movie called Rivers Nine, and uh, I was, we were at the uh, Morongo Casino. Wait, is that the movie with Vinnie Jones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vinnie Jones and uh, Jamie Kennedy and uh, really a bunch of good actors. But uh, we were on location out at the casino in Morongo, and Jimmy's the kind of guy, you know, Jimmy, he gets to know everybody. We were standing around, started talking, and that was it. We were buddies. And so now that's the, 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 um, the, we talked about the web series pilot you work with Jimmy. 
Not for nothing. Did you co-write that? Or? Yeah, Jimmy had you know Jimmy wanted to do. Jimmy has a show. He has a, he has a, a pilot that he wrote that's about gambling and because uh, an Indian casino story, and uh, he was trying to get that made. It he was it was kind of stalled. He was a little frustrated. So hey, he said, hey, I want to do a show about us. You know, let's just do a a, a web series uh, about actors in L.A. who are trying to make. And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we, you know, loosely scripted, and uh, it, you you saw it. Did you see it? No, I I, I I was there when you were filming. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it really looks good. It's pretty funny. It's not bad. It's ten minutes, and uh, we'll see what happens. I want to talk about some of your other work, but I want to talk about just some of your recent work because you've been involved with uh, two shows. I mean, I mean that are very you know, well, you were the True Detective. Yeah, you know, I didn't. It wasn't much of a part. It was but quick. It's still the thing is that what I what I here's what I've heard about when you're in True Detective because it's a type of show where everybody in, in the business wants to watch True Detective. There's certain right. shows that are have that cult following, and maybe it was last year because it was so different with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. But then they come back with Vince Vaughn. I mean, they, they, it's big hitters, and it's, you know, the guy, it's a proven track record so far. So now, how did you get cast for that? And also, I heard once you get cast about that, people notice that, though, because it, it's a matter of, it's one of those shows. I had a guy on who was, played a crazy guy in the first season, and he said, after, like, after at that, an audition, it was like he was a different guy. Because it was, you know, they knew him, but then after that, because he was in the acclaimed show, how did, and you play the uh, pawn shop owner, right? Yeah, right. Now, how did, how did, how did that come about? Well, just like for most of my stuff is I get a call from my agent. They email me the material and I go to the audition and I read. That's what happened. So I read for it. I got cast. And you're right. True Detective is like one of the higher, uh, you know, it's the upper echelons of, of shows and everybody wants to be on it. So this episode that I'm on as the pawn, uh, pawn shop owner they come to the pawn shop and this is where the shit hits the fan i have information about this case that blows it wide open if if anyone saw the season which has been highly criticized I, for the most part you know what i watched it and uh for me it was it was slow until the one the shootout episode and that that picked, was my episode yeah and that picked that picked it mm-hmm. up because it was also just such a brutal scene but then it was sort of weird i mean i you know it's like anything you know you want to, I think because it was last year, everyone thought it was so high. But so now you get that, so then that must be a good, you're in that scene, it actually turns the, the, the season. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and they actually, they refer to the character a few times later on in the episode. So it was kind of like he was, even though he wasn't on there a great deal of time, it, it was a standout person for the, for that episode. And, uh, well, the shootout scene at the end was, was like you said, was the best. Same. Yeah, it was crazy. So now, did people recognize you after that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I got all kinds of emails, all kinds of people uh, coming up to me and stuff. It's, it's, and you say, wow, the power of television is just amazing. Yeah, it must be. I mean, because you just said it, it's, it's the one episode, but it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's good stuff. So now, and you're also, and you're also, in what I'm watching now is blunt talk. <sighs> Man, now, you I, know, I want to hear first of all. I want to, because you're on, a, you've been on a few episodes. Yes. I want to hear about that set because first of all. If people, if you're not watching the show, it's just so bizarre. It's Patrick Stewart is great in it, but just how they, they, she spoons him and stuff like that. Now, now, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's different. So now it's for you. It's like, you're going from this, you know, the high end of a uh, true detective, which is, you know, a intense scene yeah. to this show. I mean, how did you, was it easy to get the audition for that show? Uh, it was the same exact thing. You know, I have representatives that, that call me, they get the stuff they go, you read and you see you're out in the lobby with 8 million other guys and you think there's no way on God's green earth I'm getting this. And then they phone and they say, it's you. And you go, cool. 
All right, that's great. So what's it like when you go sit there and you're working with someone like Patrick Stewart, and you know, and and the guy Jonathan Ames who wrote a great show that was yes. called Bored to Death on HBO that got canceled middle of the season, which was stupid. I mean, you can't. How do you cancel a show that has Zach Galifianakis, Ted Danson, and Jason Schwartzman? It was just nuts. I mean, it made I no know. sense. But so now, now you go into this set. It must have been pretty good. Well, it was great. The thing is that you know, my whole career usually you would go into a set where people have been. Um, doing the same thing for five years, they've got it down. The day I went to the set, it was the first day. Everybody, Patrick Stewart, the directors, everybody, it was their first day on the set. So uh, the director came up to me and he says, Jerry, your character is Bill the cameraman. You're Patrick Stewart, Walter Blunt's 30-year cameraman. You've been with him forever. Uh, he is the, You're the one smiling face he sees when he gets to the to the set every day and, and he just feels comfortable knowing that you're there. So this big backstory for this guy who's doesn't have a lot of lines but what happened was they put me on a live camera camera b it's they had three cameras shooting walter blunt's show which is the show within the show right and so my camera is shooting the show so they didn't know this god love them but uh i'm not a cameraman you know i mean it's it's an art it's a skill these guys the other guys on the other two cameras they've been doing it for 20 years they're you know they're dollying and panning and swooping uh, whatever you do. And I'm an actor, man. So I was slowing them down. And so logistically, they kind of got rid of me after uh, three episodes. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense, though. I mean, it, it sucks, totally but did. it's like, because, you know, you're right. They, they're the cameramen. That's a talent. You know, you see it on the sets. Now, you've been you've been in a lot of stuff lately. And I, I know I, I saw on your clip on your IMDb page, which uh, go check it out. It's Jerry Hawk, H-A-U-C-K. You have uh, from uh, How Do I Get It With Murder? Yeah, um, I, it's a killer scene. Uh, I played Judge James Badgley, who's who's just you know he's basically a judge and says most of the same things like you know you're out of order. No, no. Have you uh, gotten called before to be a judge? Because you, you there's you fit the TV judge look. You know, it's like guys like you and you know like Fred Melamed. You know, sort of. Oh yeah, he's great. Like you guys are just your or John Polito. You know, it's like you Absolutely. guys you guys have you have an authoritative look, but not mean you know what i mean it's like like you're a big guy you know and you and you but you you look like you have authority but you don't look like you're a dick you know like, like right. the same with melamed or polito like because you want to see a mean judge no one's gonna watch it you know it's funny in the script when i read he was described as a mean judge a total no bullshit guy that you don't want to mess with he will be on your case right away this was the description in the script and i said i'm not doing that i am not gonna act like that because it's gonna look like me be, as, as a bad actor you know trying to be mean like a tough guy so I just read the lines nicely, and I ended up getting the the part of the the bad guy. And now I haven't seen that show, but I know she won the uh, Emmy, and I heard it's just a really good show. But the problem is, if you miss these shows from the first season, there's just so much good because it used to be like we said there was there was good shows, but now it's like okay, it's not bad enough that like the networks are bringing out good dramas, but then we also have HBO and Showtime bringing out good stuff. But then now we have Netflix and Amazon, and you sit there and you go. What the, you know? What can you watch? And, and how can you watch all these shows? Right. You know, we talk about Jimmy D. He knows everybody. He knows all the shows. He knows all the names. It's like I don't know who he's talking about. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I he, that's Jimmy. I think <laughs> he's just. I, I think because when he's on the road, it's like you get, you get bored on the road. Hey, let me ask you a question real quick. Just, just go off subject for a second. Yeah. Do you find are you able to remember all the names of football and baseball players like when we were kids? Because I, I'll watch a game and at the end of the game, I go. I don't remember any, who who yeah. they are. I, I remember, I remember, I remember all of them when I was a kid. I remember, but see, I was one of these kids that I loved sports so much. My mom would crack up that 
first of all, my mom and dad would take me to what was called the Pensacola Farmer's Market, sort of like a swap meet. Uh-huh. And they would sell like baseball and football sporting news magazines at this stand. And the cover was ripped off as they would sell them for like a quarter. And I would just get them. And I would know everybody's stats. I would know whole league stats. And the sporting news was great for yeah, that. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. You sit there. And I mean, as I've gotten older, I forget. But I, I'm, well, first of all, also with the TV and movies, all right, I, I know a lot. Like people sit there and, you know, they'll go, oh, who was the cast of Welcome Back, Cotter? I'll be able to name every actor. You know, Barney Miller the same way. I just have that. I can't remember last week. But I, right, but I, exactly. remember, I remember that kind of stuff. I remember events of, from times like when, like my first, my guest before you, Michael, I, when I looked through a book in Vegas, I was there six years ago and he was on his TV show and I remembered seeing the article. I remember stuff like that. It's very weird. I have that sort of that idiot savant memory, but it, it it's short, it's lonely long-term. My short-term memory sucks. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically the same way. It just popped into my head when you asked the question, but uh we were talking about um, how to get away with murder. Yeah, so I mean, well, Viola Davis is amazing, and she does this impassioned speech that just rocks the house. And uh, you know, to watch her work, she's working. She's trying to learn the lines and 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 get it. You know, I mean, it's 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 a process and it's really tough. But she, the finished product is amazing. Well, it's weird because you know, it's like you you've been getting seemed to getting more work as the years go on. I mean, I, I think, I mean, it seems like because your, your resume is, you've been a lot of stuff in the last few years. And, and that must be great because a lot of times people sit there and go, you know, oh, well, as you get older, there's not a lot of work. But I mean, you, you did, you played Boss Hogg and saw Sonny and filled up. Yeah. yeah, see, there's a pretty, that's pretty quite a juxtaposition, right? I'm a judge and I'm also Boss Hogg. But on see, that's all great though. But especially anyone yeah. who, you know, actually did watch Dukes of Hazzard, you know, and it went once again, it was a pop culture phenomenon. So now, now that's just crazy because it's like, you know, and, and always Sonny and Philadelphia, those guys are just nuts. And it's a and funny so issue. nice. These yep. sweetest people, Caitlin Olsen and Glenn Howard and those guys, they were just beautiful. So what's it like when they when you get a breakdown? Because it's like anything. Like you know, I I went out for I don't know audition last week and it just said bald, and that, <laughs> that was it, bald. You know, or or like when I'll sit there and go, uh, creepy guy. Right. And you go, what the hell? You know, what, you know. But what is it like when they sit there and say <laughs> boss hog? Do you sit there and go? And first you be like, I'm gonna go nail boss hog, or do you actually sit there and go, I'm gonna see old tapes of boss hog and get it down? Well, how did you work with that? Uh, you know what? I got a white suit that i had out of the closet i had a white cowboy hat and i had the cigar and i made myself look as much as him as humanly possible to take away from my acting <laughs> you know <laughs> look at something else and i just sold it i just i i, I honestly thought i'm not right for this because I, I don't do a great texas accent i'm not really a cowboy and i just sold it i sold the hell out of it and got it and now you also got a chance you were lucky enough to do uh hot in cleveland yeah i played david dave foley's father now in the episode his parents are uh deaf mute they they don't they don't speak and they don't uh hear well is that what that is deaf mute can't speak and can't hear. yeah 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 so anyway they, they, they might be able to speak a little but it's not it's not um you can't you can't make it out right but it was great it was the greatest job i've ever had i didn't have any lines to learn and i couldn't even sit there and listen so it was like it was the yeah no game. how do you do that because it's like it's like anything now that, that's taken in front of a live audience totally yeah so right. now how do you and i know it's acting so uh, you know but there's something i don't care you know you can be a trained actor or not but there's that certain thing when you hear laughter you know, you are, you know how to play the laughter, especially because you've been, you've, you've acted for the last 35 years. You've been constantly working. You know, when you do a live show, you're going to sit there 
and it's like anything it's our instinct and it's not i mean it's not your debt but it's not because you can't sit there and sign i mean you can see people because well, that was the thing we were also funny we had this bastardized sign language that we did because he was he says that it was too hard for him to learn real sign language so we learned these like it's like we were the three stooges right so that the signing is getting laughs now did you get to meet buddy white Absolutely. So what was that like? Because, you know, once again, I mean, you know, everyone says she's so professional and you figure she's, what, 90 and she's yeah. just, she's funniest when she hosted Saturday Night Live. That was just funny as hell. And I'm glad they had her on. But it must be just pretty amazing to see someone, you know, because I mean, her, she just nails everything, but she's been doing it for so long. Sharp as attack. She came in and she sat, you know, the high director chairs that they have, you know, the high chairs. She was sitting in one of those and she watched our scene. Dave Foley, who, by the way, Dave Foley was 52. I was 58 playing his dad. Six years older than you know, him. You know what's funny about that? I always say it's, that's what Hollywood is like. <laughs> no, because I remember I went to this Hollywood show, and uh, Jimmy Walker was there. And Jimmy Walker's 60-whatever. And John Amos was there, and he's like eight years older than Jimmy Walker. Hey. <laughs> but then funny was Esther Roll was like 20 years older than John Amos. So you sit there and you break it down and you go, it's really not possible unless Jimmy Walker, you know, <laughs> right. unless John Amos had right. Jimmy Walker when he was nine. Right. Right. So what is that like? I mean, that is weird because, you know, I wouldn't see that because you, you don't look old and to be his dad because he's, he's, he looks older. Yeah. And the lady playing my, his mom, my wife in real life, she was 82. So, wait, so she was 24 years older than I was. So I guess, but it's, it's not crazy how when you sit there and you look back in this business how just casting is. And I think people just when they see, I don't, I think, I think it's good because people sometimes do suspend their, and you know, they don't sit there and they become, they imagine, they don't sit there and go, well, this is technically like it should be. Or it's younger people who look at an old person and sixty is eighty to them. It's right. Like what you know, he's That's, old. Isn't that scary when you think about? It, you go, what the hell, man? Yeah. So, and so no, it's just funny. Now I, I remember also you were in a Christmas movie. Oh yeah. Christmas. <laughs> Christmas bell. Yeah, yeah. And I, I honestly, you know what it was? I saw that and I was at, I, I didn't see the movie itself. I was at like Kmart or Target or whatever the name. Oh yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Bins. yeah. And I, I love Christmas movies, you know, and it's like this year, thank God Hallmark channel came back. Cause I did, I lost it when I switched things. Cause they do all these movies and I've done a million of them. Yeah. I saw, I yeah. saw the Christmas bell and I saw, cause Jimmy had mentioned you and I saw your name in the thing. So I mean, you, how many Christmas movies have you done? Well, I did I did a, a Christmas movie. It was really only one, but I've also done a Valentine's Day movie. And that's with like uh, Lifetime or Hallmark? Yeah, 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 yeah. With uh, It was called Cupid. Now, now, when do you start shooting a Christmas movie? Because it seems like they have so many damn Christmas movies, and it must be hard be, to get in the Christmas spirit because Especially it's not when we're, we're, we're up north, and it's 108 degrees, and it's July, and we're shooting. It's supposed to be Christmas Eve. Yeah, what's that like? That must be a pain in the ass. It was awful. We're all flop sweating, man. It's just, we're, uh, what do you do? Now, are you, a, are you a big Christmas guy in real life? Do you like Christmas? No. You are could you skip. Jewish? You could, no, no, I'm Catholic. Okay. I guess. And, uh, but you can jump from basically Halloween to, uh, Super Bowl Sunday or New Year's Day See, or whatever. I love Christmas. I don't uh, know why. I just, out here it's different because growing up back east, it was always like you had the trees and the, and we get a tree, but it's just, you know, when you're going to buy a Christmas tree and it's, it's, you know, it's like you're 75 degrees out, it's like, should be buying a Christmas tree in shorts. That's just a problem with shorts. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Now, also, you're in that new uh, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain movie. I want to talk about that because uh, we had me and Jerry talked a little before that you know it's a it's a it's it's a documentary drama. Yeah, docu- How would you explain yes. it? Because it's it's got like regular. I mean, explain it. Okay. Well, first of all, it's called Soaked in Bleach. 
And it's a documentary feature, like you say, about the death of Kurt Cobain. And it's it's uh, it has reenactments of the events that led up and after his death. But it also has the authoritative figures who were there at the time, like the chief of police of Seattle, uh, forensic uh, guys, the, the the people who came in on the EMT, you know, the emergency guys who showed up. Uh, so it's it's all about facts. Now, what happened was Courtney Love hired this investigator named Tom Grant to find Kurt because he had gone missing five days. This would be inevitably five days before he died. So as Tom Grant did his job, every single, every single thing he discovered pointed towards Courtney Love manipulating the whole situation. So he smelled the rat with her right off the bat and tape recorded every single conversation he had with every single person throughout the investigation. So it's cool. Whereas they, they'll do a reactant, a reenactment where the actor will be saying his lines and it will cut to the real person continuing on with the same dialogue. See, that's what goes me. It said earlier, you know, cause I, I mean, honestly, I, Nirvana, I mean, I like the grunge. I, I'm a fan of Dave Grohl, but Nirvana for me, you know, I, give him a take. I, I, I don't sit there go crazy. If, if you talk about Seattle, as a much big, more Pearl Jam fan or the screaming trees, but for me, it was I, I watched we said the other documentary on uh, HBO montage of heck, which is one of those things where because HBO does such great quality work on absolutely on documentaries mm-hmm. and I'm a, I love documentaries. And it's one of those things where you sit down. I remember I don't know I I was at home and I said you know I'm gonna watch it. It was on demand, and I was I was really disappointed because it was just all over the place. It really was. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't want to like knock that film right, yeah, yeah, but necessarily. But, but, now, but now this one though seems to be much much more of the facts i mean because because it's it's and now we don't know what happened and you know you're never going to find out what happened but this follows the true timelines because the problem is nobody when this stuff happened everyone was going he was too young to die or, or you know they, they no one ever sat there and said wow i mean you think about it no one really ever said what happened i mean most things the you know, seattle pd seattle pd ruled it a suicide in 54 minutes yeah so it's like sitting there going wait something and it's just weird. So, so now, how did this part come apart? And about, and it, was it just? I mean, through your agent, or was it just something that you were happy to be in because it was? Are you a? Do you like what kind? Of, like what kind of music do you? Okay, like? well, I'm an old guy. I'm a Beatles guy. Yeah, and, but you're and, not. You know, how old are you? Sixty. Yeah, you're eight. You're, you're you're. I'll be I'll be fifty two at the end. Of okay, the month. so, so I mean, I wasn't, but I wasn't into grunge or right. Nirvana. It was just wasn't my scene, uh, back then. But um. When I got the call, I read this material, and I'm playing a real guy, Sergeant Donald Cameron. Of the, uh, he was the detective in charge of the investigation, and he, in not that this person is this, but in the script, in these scenes, he is an asshole. I mean, okay. he is. He doesn't want anything to do with Tom Grant. He doesn't want anybody questioning their police work, and he doesn't want to hear. So it was fun to be a jerk. Now, did you get to meet him? No, he died like 20 years ago. Oh, he didn't. Ago. Okay. So, so, but so you're sitting there. Well, it must be weird playing someone who was, you know, alive. Yeah. And especially now it's different because he's passed. So you don't want to sit there. You have to make sure it's right because, you know, and, and you can't talk to him because he's right. passed away. Right. So, I mean, is that, the, is that the first time you played someone who was an actual Yeah, pretty person? much. Pretty much. And what I kind of did was, it's funny. Uh, we talked about Dennis Franz. I remember Dennis Franz as Andy Sipowitz on Emily of Pity Blue. And you know, the way he would be when he was with somebody he didn't like, he would be like, you know. So I kind of adopted his physical characteristic. I stole from Dennis Franz, basically. But that's not stealing. That's just that's yeah. paying homage, you know. So so now now your scene, you said you have a big scene with Roebuck. Yeah, Danny Roebuck's. And and I'm sure your listeners know who he is. Just a great actor. Well, he's, been a, he's, he's been around forever. Forever. He's, he's, he's a Burbank guy. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. He lives in Burbank. 
And so now, so that must have been great because when you get to work with an actor that you know, and you guys are both, you know, you're both character actors, you're both, you're both trained, you know, you, you take the business seriously, you're not just some schmuck screwing around. You probably know this about Danny, but Dan, Dan Roebuck on the set is the kind of guy, he knows every name of every single person and the grip walks by and it's like, Hey Ernie, how you doing? How's your daughter? How did her recital go the other day? Hey, how's your dog? You, the, the shots were, you know, he's that kind of guy. Yeah. And so he's great. And, and, and that's the kind of person that we want to be, you know what I mean? Is, is to, we're all in it together. So uh, just to be acting opposite him was a thrill. But it must be, it must be, you know, as I said, this is where the acting comes in because he is such a nice guy. And you're pretty much a prick in the movie. So it, it's, it's got to be sometimes harder to be a prick because everyone wants to be a prick or a villain because that's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. You know? It it's is like, really fun. But so it must have been uh, weird just to sit there and, you know, because then you want to be mean to him, but then you're like, God, but he's so damn nice. I mean, how do you get yourself in the mind frame to be mean? I mean, because you you're a nice guy. I mean, it's like, I know it's acting. Everyone says acting, but I don't care. You know, to, just to be mean, it's got to be sometimes tough. Uh, ben Statler, Benjamin Statler is the one of the writers and the director of this film. And he asked me the very same question on the set. He says, how do you pull this off? He goes, you're obviously a, a really nice guy and you're such a convincing jerk. And I'm using jerk as the polite word. But uh, for, for me, you know, in between takes, I can be bullshit and having a good time. And they say action and I'm just into it. I, I don't go through any real process. It's just there. So now you also you were in saving uh, Mr. Banks. Yes. Now, and that was a very, uh, that was with Tom Hanks? Yes. And that was a very critically acclaimed movie. Yeah. Which it's funny is because uh, comedian Wendy Lieben, her father is, I mean, her husband is uh, Jeffrey Sherman, whose dad wrote oh, all those songs. Oh, of course. Songs. Yeah. And, and, and that must be sort of weird because, you know, we all grew up with that kind of music. And I know you play an MC, and, and, but you're, you're, once again, it's a period piece. Now, Definitely. Now, now, did you enjoy doing a period piece? Because, I mean, sure, they probably put you in a nice tux and everything. I mean, it must have been pretty cool to sit there, and it was probably not one of these crappy tuxes that you see. No, 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 no. Not only that, I had my choice of tuxes. There is a, on YouTube, if you go to the Mary Poppins premiere, it's all there. And my character is there, and, and every single thing that you see in the movie is basically copied from that video. And so my guy, I got this powder blue tux, but I had a choice. I had, I got to choose between three tuxes, and I said, give me the powder blue one. Why'd you go the powder blue? I just thought it looked cool. It was kind of like like a Beatles kind of thing with the black trim, you know, and uh, yeah, it was definitely happening. Now, what's that like, though, being in such a big movie? Because, you know, you sit there, it's like anything when you watch TV, and, you know, it got, it got a lot of publicity. It must be great when you sit there and go, wow, I was part of that. It must I mean, it must be pretty, must make you feel really good. Yeah, well, uh, um. I got a call from the first AD and he said that he and the director were sitting around and they said they needed a, an MC and uh, I still had to audition anyway. So I went down and I, I found that tape and I just, I went in and auditioned and, and uh, did this gigantic, huge audition that was spectacular, got the part. And, and then we actually closed down uh, Hollywood Boulevard on a Friday night. The, the Grauman's Chinese theater, they did the actual location 500 dress extras and uh it was wild yeah i mean what is that like I mean, it must be so crazy just because you know it is i mean hollywood boulevard it's like i was there when ben Halen played and it was just crazy closed off but this it's it's that period piece and probably had old cars pulling up and the different things like 20 limos from 1960 yeah. i mean yeah i mean what's that i mean it must be sort of like a, a, a like you must just be fascinated i mean did you get did you get caught up in the moment well i'm standing there next to you know bradley whitford the actor brad right. whitford he's standing there and he goes wow, we are in a 
real movie. And I thought, well, if Brad Whitford's impressed, this, right. is, this is cool. Now, you know, you, you're, you're, you, you seem to go back and forth, you know, like the, the role in, you know, the um, Soaked in Bleach. That's a very drama. And, and the role in, in Banks is, it's not drama, but it's not a comedy. But then you also, like you said, that, like you were in anger management, an episode of that. It's like now, now who was Charlie in any of your scenes in that? I, my scene is with Charlie. He's uh, he's dating this girl. They go. He goes with her to a friend's wedding, and I am his date's father. And Charlie Sheen was the nicest guy. I've heard. I've heard he's just a hell of a guy, and he does he does so much stuff that people don't hear about because they hear about crazy Charlie. Right. But like, exactly. Like, like I saw I heard a story where some guy was. Um, dying or something or he had you know whatever somehow charlie found she found out that the guy was a huge star of his or whatever and so he flew him out here he took him to the set of anger management he put him up at the universal thing stuff like that yeah you know um he's working his ass off for one thing they're doing two episodes a week and they had already sold 100 episodes when they started doing the show so he's on that set from eight in the morning until 10 o'clock at night and so when we first rehearsed the scene they kind of brought him out and uh, we rehearsed the scene. Then I went back to my one position, which is uh, on the other side of this wedding reception. I feel a tap on my shoulder. I turn around as Charlie says, hey, man, I didn't get a chance to introduce myself over at the rehearsal. Just want to tell you, I'm Charlie. Uh, great to meet you. Welcome to the set. And let's have some fun. I was like, yeah, man, that's cool. Nice to meet you, too. That must be cool. Yeah. I mean, because you hear so much. I think a lot of times the big stars, I think a lot of them are down to earth. I think just because, as we, especially... Now, because social media just destroys everything, like, you know, people don't talk about, you know, back in the day, you know, Bogart, Bogart was a big drinker. Every night they would be out drinking, you know, and then, you know, even Sinatra was, you know, they're big drinkers. And but the thing is, though, we didn't hear about it because, you know, and if they if if they acted up at set, if they were unprofessional for one moment, you know, which happens to everybody, mm -hmm. we're all, you know, we're all human. But if that happens, they would never sit there and hear it. And so it would sit there, and, and now you can't do anything wrong without it just popping up. On, not only on, that, not only that, a split-second photograph, which is taken, you know, it's this quick, and that picture is defining your entire existence nowadays, you know, and uh, it just isn't that way. That's why a lot of people say, what was so-and-so like, what was so-and-so like? I can only tell them what they were like when they were with me, you know, and, and yeah, cause that makes sense. But the thing also is, you know, you, usually if, if it's in a work situation and uh, you know, most people, no matter what they're doing, when they work, it's like my parents always told me, you go to your job, you do your job well. Okay. No matter what you're doing, you know, you could be washing dishes, you wash them well. And I think a lot of times people are like that because we're all perfectionists. We're in this business. We're all insecure. It's just the way it is. Totally. And, insecure. and you sit there and when you go and you meet someone who's nice, you know, that means that's the way they're brought up. A lot of times I think it's of a kid's just an asshole or someone's on the set as a dick. It's, it's, it's not the fame getting to their head. I think they're just, they're just born that way. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, like I said, my experience has been 99.9% .9 of the people were nice and there's been like one or two uncool people and, uh, that's it. Now I got to ask you, what's up? Uh, you're a big fan of Tommy Bahama shirts. Yeah. I'm wearing one right now, yeah. baby. Yeah, no, because because that's funny because you guys talk about it in the, uh, in the Jimmy's <laughs> yeah. in your guys' show. And uh, so when did you start falling for Tommy Bahama when shirts? I realized I got to the age where I couldn't do that, you know, the actor thing where they've got the T-shirt and the khakis with the open uh, right. regular shirt look, you know, that's hanging out. I said, I, I'm too old for that. So I said, on plus, I need to cover a multitude of sins. So Tommy Bahama. How, how many Tommy Bahama shirts you got? I probably have 40. 
And you know, you know, do you ever do you ever go buy them at the thrift shop, or do you buy them all? That I ne- I mean, I almost never pay the full price. Thrift shops are great, or uh, you go to a place like Nordstrom's Rack where you can get a you know $150 shirt for 60 bucks. That kind of thing. I have a wife who's really good at that stuff. So now, is your wife in the business? She is in the retail business. So okay, so so she she helps you dress. Yeah, so she's, yeah, she's good at it. But I mean, what's it just? It's so it's like funny because the Hawaiian shirt looks good. I mean, now is that are they? That's it's, that's not even really a Hawaiian shirt. That's more of like a floral shirt. It's a good shirt for radio, Steve. That's, no, it's a great <laughs> shirt. I, I would wear that. Look, I'm wearing yeah, my shirt. Yeah, this is a beauty. Shirt. I love this. This yeah, it is floral. It's not Hawaiian, uh, at all. But now, see the buttons so cool there. I know it's a nice looking shirt. Now, now, are, do you plan to write more? Like what you wrote with Jimmy? I mean, what, what, what do you have you written before? I mean, besides, was that the first time you've written? No, with no, Jimmy? I've written a lot. You know, I actually have a comedy partner, which we haven't really talked about, but I do live stuff. Okay. And uh, I have over the years probably done uh, twelve hundred live performances, uh, events, and stuff. And I've written probably like two hundred of them, where you know it'll be a corporate thing or whatever it is, and they'll say this is the theme of the evening, this is what we want, we write it, rehearse it, and go do it. So. Now, how'd you meet your comedy partner? Uh, doing murder mysteries and, and stuff. We were in a cast together and then just kind of gravitated out of necessity to get gigs and make money. So now, do you do you like that when you get to be in front of the live audience? I mean, is it because sometimes people freeze up? I mean, for no. you, do you feel, you feel no. natural? We are improv guys, you know? And so when we go out there, we our goal is to be so far away from the script that we are so lost that there's no way to get back to our show. We we are fearless. We love it. Now, uh, what, what's the, what's the duo called? Ronnie and Jerry. Uh, we're just Ronnie and Jerry, and uh, we're at RonnieandJerry.com, coincidentally. And what's Ronnie's uh, last name? Ronnie Sperling. Great Ronnie actor. Sperling. He's been around. He's in a lot of commercials, TV, uh, and um, he, he kind of looks like a Phil Silvers kind of guy. Okay. All right. Phil Silvers. I like that. Yeah. Sergeant Bilko. Um, so now, now what's coming up in your, are you doing a lot of acting right now or are you going out for an audition or is it a slow time or what's, yeah. Okay. It's kind of all those things. Um, I've had a number of auditions. I just shot a commercial for a product called plan B the morning after pill. You know about that? Yeah. Yeah, That's the pill that people can take after having unprotected sex for 72 hours. So I just shot one of those. And the first thing people say is, so you're like the doctor (laughs) because I'm not the one getting laid, yeah. man. No way. <laughs> Are you the doctor? <laughs> no, I'm an elevator operator. That's they, all right, though. The, the the young people have a party on a stuck elevator in a loft in New York, you're, and I'm the guy that fixes it. I'm the technician. You're going to get a whole new fan base, because I'm going to tell you, those kids are going to love you, because to you, hey, if they don't get up to the elevator, you're saving them. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I got a whole new fan base with with Kurt Cobain, too, so it's it's amazing. Now, do you tweet? Are you a Twitter guy? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. You know, I'm not... I'm, I'm not totally cognizant of how it works so you know and now what, what's your twitter handle uh it's at at jhauk21 j-h-a-u-c-k-2-1 okay so now 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 what what do you tweet about when you tweet do you just tweet what's going on do you tweet jokes or do you, are you political what do you tweet well you know what from for me most of it is um i will t- it's been a lot of the kurt cobain i have a lot of followers we all follow each other about this movie and about justice to have this case reopened so i'm constantly retweeting and supporting those guys that's the number one thing and uh, the other thing I'll treat, you know, I like to read, I'll treat stuff about sports. I like, you know, baseball, football. Who's your, who's your football team, Niners? San Francisco Niners, yeah. Man, what happened to them? They self-destructed. They're just amazing what happened in the last couple of years. Between retirements and arrests, their defense oh, it's is ridiculous. just gone. It's crazy. Hey, I had season tickets at Candlestick Park 1976, 77, 78. Back then they were so bad. Is that Gene Washington? But Scott Bull. Okay, wow. Steve DeBerg. Okay, OJ played for the Niners yeah, for a while. That. I and I remember it. Joe Namath was playing for the Rams at yep. the time. This was bad. 
it was, yeah, I remember my friend growing up, Marcus Esposito was a Niner fan all through our lives. And he actually would, I don't know if he still does because he has three kids now, but he's at least good once a year <coughs> to see the Niners. But now it's so expensive with these new stadiums. Our tickets, our season tickets then, we were on the 35-yard line about eight rows up. We're $100 a season, 10 bucks a game. Now you can't even park for that. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, now the movie. Uh, 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 Soaked in Bleach? Yes. Now, where can people find that? Because I, I think it's on Amazon. Good question. Yes, it is at Amazon. You could rent it or buy it. It's on Vimeo. You could rent it or buy it there. Uh, it's also on Hulu. It's pretty much it's everywhere now. And it's also going to be on cable, different cable uh, TV channels in the near future. Not Netflix yet? Uh, you know what? I'm not positive. I don't think so. Okay, no, because I just, it's funny. I, I, I Googled it and it, it come up, came up on Amazon. And yeah. I got to see because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something, as I said, it's it's always good. And I, I like I like those shows that are like that like you know the the dateline or uh... well, no like the footage but like there was a amc did the one about the the making of the mafia and they told the story of back because i love the myers lansky stuff and stuff like that and they told the story where they showed some pictures and but then they had the actors actually recreate what actually happened and i think that gives it a good because you know some some people don't want to watch whole documentaries and and when you watch a documentary, you know, you want to see the detectives acting out. You know, you want to see you and Dan, you know, acting out. Because when you just see a detective talking, like, on Dateline and stuff yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. after a while you sort of go, eh, you know, it's nothing, you know, it's it's nothing. You know, right. So now so now uh, you're on Facebook, right? Yes. We only have, like, two, three minutes Yeah, left. in fact, just go to Facebook, you know, friend me. I'll say yes. Yeah, yeah he'll, he's, he's like that. And, uh, and yeah, and so now, now we have none. We don't know what's going on for nothing. Where, where can people find Not For Nothing? Is, is there anywhere they can uh, see it? Not really. Okay. It's kind of, you know what? Uh, Jimmy's going to go on uh, tour very soon, so we're kind of putting it in the back burner until maybe there's a little more heat. So. He's going uh, on the three uh, tenors. Yeah, with, uh, yeah. Dick, the, who can't sing. And Richard yeah. Minervini. Yeah. So so, what else is coming up, man? Just uh, anything? You know what? It, the holidays are approaching, so live gigs start coming in. We have uh, I'm, I'm with a guy in, uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who represents us, and he'll call us and he'll say, "Hey, there's a gig. We just did a um, we did an event in Washington for a children's autism, the Ole Kolzig Foundation. We're up there for three days, and so you know they if if they'll send us, we go. So Ole Kolzig is a hockey player. Yeah, yeah, and he's got a foundation for his son who is uh, uh, is an autistic uh, child. So. He's had this foundation. We went up there and we just had a ball. It was a fundraiser. And, it and was do, you, do you keep it clean? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you know what? You find, I mean, you know this, the audiences are dirtier than you are. Exactly. And so, you know, you try to keep it clean and they go there. And so, well, I want to thank you for coming on. It was fun. You know, I hit you up yesterday. I had a cancellation. So I got to get Jerry on because we had talked a while. Um, you know, here's what you got to do. Give the website for your comedy team again. Okay, it's Ronnie, uh, RonnieandJerry.com. Okay. Uh, and it's R, Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, and Jerry.com. Well, check him out, people. Also, check him out on Twitter. Go to his IMDb and follow him. Just check him out. Check Jerry out. He's a good actor. He's been around for a long time. He's worked with a ton of great people. And also, go find Soaked and Bleach, because especially, you know, it's it sounds really good. And, and that, that stuff's always cool stuff. Follow me, people. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. I tweet a lot of jokes. I tweet a lot of stuff. Man, during the, the public Republican debate, I was going off the wire. So probably the Democratic debate coming up. I'll probably do that, too, because I just love tweeting. And it's not political. It's not mean political stuff. It's just funny stuff. You know, I just make fun of them saying, like, Lindsey Graham looks like a ventriloquist dummy, which he does. And also, people, I've got on my website, coopertalk.net. That's coopertalk.net. I have over 420 episodes up there. You can send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. Get in touch with me. Or if you want to listen on a mobile device, go to iTunes or Stitcher. Type in one word, Cooper Talk. All my episodes are up there. And if you have a Google uh, Google Play with the Android, Go to the store and type in Cooper Talk, and you get my app. And that's also uh, one other thing before I go. Uh, the cookbook. Remember, go to StopTheSalt.com. Remember when I had my heart problem, 
had to change my diet, you know, and I'm still eating healthy, and I cut my sodium out, a lot of sodium. I still eat it. I can, I'm, I'm a bad now, but it's got 120 recipes. They're easy to make. You know, there's there's not a lot of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. There's no pictures. You won't get intimidated. People get intimidated by pictures. So go to StopTheSalt.com and buy it there. You can buy it on uh, Amazon or Barnes Noble, but I make more money at StopTheSalt.com and I'll autograph it. So check that out. Checked out Soaked in Bleach. Uh, remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week and please have a great weekend and keep on listening.